Um, hey, I'm really excited about this evening and kind of what we've done over this whole series so far is hopefully the wisdom that is being shared here is not just um, too pigeonholed into one area to one stage of life. Um, this evening, I kind of specifically want to talk towards marriage, but I think that this stuff's going to be applicable to any kind of romantic relationship you're in, and there's going to be a bunch of stuff that's just going to be helpful practically for just even friendships, um, relationships with other people. Um, so hopefully this is going to help you. We really want to see you win in the area of relationships. That's why we're doing this series. The key scriptures in Proverbs 24, 3 to 6, and it says, Homes are built on the foundation of wisdom and understanding. Where there is knowledge, the rooms are furnished with valuable, beautiful things. Being wise is better than being strong. Yes, knowledge is more important than strength. After all, you must make careful plans before you fight a battle. And the more good advice you get, the more likely you are to win. Does anyone want to win in the area of relationships? All right. We probably should define what a a win doesn't necessarily mean. I got married. Yes, win. I won life. I got married. I'm not going to be alone. That's That's not what we're defining a win as. A win is having healthy relationships. Because as we talked about last week, relationships are always headed somewhere. Relationships need to have movement. Relationships need to be, you need to be careful of, like relationships stagnating. So relationships are always heading somewhere. I want to tell you a story that I don't want to brag in church, but I'm quite proud of. I'm quite proud of this story Um, in a holy way. I'm proud. Holy pride. Um, Before Talitha and I were dating, and she's actually, she couldn't be here this evening, unfortunately. So I'm going to tell a heap of stories and she's not going to be able to like kind of say anything about it. Um, but they're good stories for, for me anyway. And anyway, one time we were hanging out, there was four of us and we were going to visit a friend. And there just so happened to be two girls and two guys. And two of those were Talitha and I. We're going to see this friend, and this friend was always very excitable about being in the know about things and very, very keen on certain people getting together or whatnot. And this is before Talitha and I were, were together. And someone raised the idea, which in hindsight, I think this is a dumb idea, okay? So this, I'm just putting it out there. Don't go and do this. Um, but someone raised the idea of we should pretend that we are now two couples and just act like couples um, and see how our friend reacts. Bear in mind, I'm probably like 17 at the time. That's my excuse, not, not thinking too smartly up here. And, um, and I, my, honestly, my first thought was, that's a silly idea. Like, let's not do that. And then I thought, I could pretend to be Talitha's boyfriend. That is a win for me. Like, I can... I can show her that, like, I'm boyfriend material. And I was like, that's a great idea. I volunteer as tribute to be your boyfriend, Talitha. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And so we walk in, and it's like we walk in holding hands, and it's all a show, right? But I'm like, yeah, this, I'm the man. Look what, look what I've just done. We sit down, and it's arm around on the couch, and our friend is like, what's going on? Are you guys dating? Oh, and we're like, oh, you know, whatever. And... And can I just say, that's the greatest example I have of me showing some riz, is, uh, is that I thought I, was quite, I thought I was quite smooth, but it, it wasn't a coincidence, it wasn't an accident that I ended up pretending to be Talitha's 
uh, boyfriend. And it kind of started a chain of events where a lot of things happened coincidentally that weren't really coincidental. I would volunteer to sit in the middle of the back seat. Now, no one likes the middle seat, but you do when it's me getting to sit next to Talitha. I'm like, I'll sit, in the, I'll sit there. And then coincidentally, we just happen to be sitting next to each other at after parties. And oh, coincidentally, oh, we're going on a coast trip with these people. And, and you've bought your friends and I've bought my friends. But the only reason I bought my friends was so that you'd bring your friends and so that we could go to the beach together. It was, it was not an accident. I'm, I'm, I'm revealing my tricks here, and they, they worked, okay? So don't knock them. I'm not saying that it'll work again. I'm just saying it worked for me. Um, it wasn't a coincidence. You know, research says that we spend between 95 and 97% of our life on autopilot. That means we're not making decisions. We're not doing things intentionally. We're just kind of going through life often without very much intentionality. Have you ever driven home, gotten home, sat in your driveway and thought, I cannot remember how I got here? Has anyone done that? You're like, I, I cannot remember anything about the last 20 minutes or 25 minutes. I just seem to have arrived. I don't know if I came in a time machine, but here, here I am. We just, you know, we spend a lot of our life where we're just walking, breathing, Fun fact about breathing is now that I'm talking about breathing, you've all started breathing manually. Is anyone here now? You have to think, I'm becoming very conscious of the fact that I need to take a breath quite soon. I'm going to run out. See, everyone, okay, manual breathing mode engaged. We're all thinking about that. No one here is breathing naturally anymore. You're all thinking about it. I can see it. You're trying to hide it. I can see in your eyes. You're thinking deeply about your next breath because you're afraid you might just die if you don't take it. So much of our life just, just kind of happens, right? It just, it, life can often happen to us. And I guess that's what I want to speak about this evening. I've called the message, not an accident, uh, not an accident, the importance of intentionality in healthy relationships. The fact is, healthy relationships don't just happen by accident. You're not just going to wake up one day and be like, oh, I'm in a healthy marriage. It just kind of happened. It, actually, relationships take work. They take effort. There's no, you know, remember, does anyone remember the song Accidentally in Love? I don't know if that's actually what the song's called, but that's the key word. Accidentally in love. Accidentally in love. Does anyone remember that? Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike is good. Yeah, Mike and Joelle love it. Thank you. <laughs> when the Bible speaks about marriage, it actually speaks about the two becoming one. It's, it's two hearts, two lives, two futures, two unique people merging into one. And I think what we can get wrong is we think that it's this momentary, instantaneous kind of thing that happens. But anyone who's been married for a little while would tell you it's actually a process. It actually takes intentionality. It actually takes work. If you want a relationship to work, you've actually got to work on it. If you stop working on a relationship, chances are it's going to stop working. So tonight, I just want to talk about three very practical things, and we're going to get really practical, so hopefully um, you appreciate that. Three, oh, sorry, four things that won't happen by accident that require intentionality, but that are going to build that firm foundation that you can build a relationship on. And remember, the stronger the foundation, the better the foundation you build, actually the, the bigger, bigger the house you can build, the higher you can build on a big 
foundation. I think so often we're rushed past those foundational things. We're rushed from zero to 100 real quick, and we forget to build the foundation. So four things. Are you ready? The first, Gabe is ready. That's good. He's ready. Take note, ladies. Gabe said he was ready. Um, (laughs) Sorry, man. I'm making you regret sitting in the front row. Uh, The first one, prefer the other. You have to intentionally prefer the other. I was kind of expecting like a big round of applause. Oh. I was expecting all the married people to be like, amen, that's my favorite part about marriage, preferring the other. Philippians 2, 3 to 4 says this. It says it's just about our general relationships. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of other." If I can be honest, this is probably one of the most foundational things for healthy relationships, for healthy marriages, looking out for the other person. It's probably also one of the most challenging things when it comes to relationships. And the thing is, the thing about love is, love is more than just a feeling. Feelings of love will come and go. More often than not, what true love looks like is it looks like a decision. It looks like a decision to love the other person. And this is, I guess, very evident when it comes to preferring the other person. It's so often to love your spouse requires a decision to put their needs before your needs. Now, it should be easy at first, right? It looks like things like, we can go to eat where you want to eat, babe. That's okay. You want whatever? That's where we're going to go. That's what James and Georgia. You want to go to GYG? Let's go to GYG. You want to go to GYG again? Let's go to GYG. Initially, it looks like simple things like that, but over time, it actually starts to get a little bit more difficult. It looks like, I'll change that nappy, even though I've been pretending not to smell it for the last 30 minutes, and you've been pretending not to smell it for the last 30 minutes, but I'm going to put... Your needs above my own, your interests. I'm not going to look to my own interests. I'm going to open that thing. It looks like, <laughs> I just thought that was a good picture of what it's like, right? Like it, it, the nervous moments where you've got the, like, the little undoy things. You're like, oh no, I have to see this. Um, sorry, too much information. Um, it looks like I'll tidy this, the house before my spouse gets home, even though I'm super tired. It looks like I know my wife has had a big week, so maybe I'm going to say no to that so that we can spend some time together. What it often looks like is it often looks like sacrifice. It looks like sacrificing my right to put myself first. Before I ask what's best for me, I actually ask what's best for our marriage? What's best for you is the first question that I ask. And can I just say, because so, so far this is like, that's, that's a hard thing to do, right? I think the beauty of Christian marriage is, as I ask what's best for my spouse, and my spouse asks what's best for my spouse, we actually end up looking up, we actually end up looking after each other's interests. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And I think it's such a picture of how God works. He's like, hey, if you trust me with it, I've got your back. And I think the same thing in marriage. It's like, if, hey, if I can just look out for my wife, And if I can devote my time to looking out for my wife and she does the same to me, we actually have this really beautiful relationship that's not based on selfish gain, that's not based on my own best interest, that's actually two people looking out for each 
other. I think, it's, again, it's a picture of God's, how God's love works. You focus on loving Him, on loving others. He looks out for you. Matthew 6.33 puts it like this, and I think this is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. What it's saying is you don't miss out when you seek God first. And I think when in balance, when in marriage, when it's in balance, if you seek first the, 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 the desires, the needs, the wants of your spouse, and they do the same for you, you end up with this super strong, healthy relationship. The issue is, how do I know what my spouse's needs are? Like, I thought I knew this, and then I've realized that sometimes what I think the needs are is not actually what the needs are. Like, I think, ah, I see, here's an issue, I'm going to fix it. But actually, that wasn't the issue. Has any, any married people, have you ever felt like that? You're like, yeah, good, good, a few honest people. We're just, it's, it's all the men that have put their hands up. The ladies are like, we know very clearly what they want. <laughs> the guys are like, we are still clueless after a long time of being married. Um, and, and that's what brings me to my, I guess, my next thought is we've got to be really intentional about communicating openly. If, if we want to have a healthy, strong marriage, we've actually got to be really intentional about communicating openly. I've heard it said that frustration lives in the gap between expectation and reality. In the gap between expectation and reality, this is frustration. And chances are, pretty much every time you have ever been frustrated by something, it was because there was a gap between your expectation and the reality that you ended up living, right? You thought you were finishing at five o'clock. You were thinking, I can't wait to finish work. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to mow my lawn. I'm going to do whatever it is. I'm going to sit. I'm going to watch Netflix. I know exactly what I'm going to do. At 5.15, I'm going to be home and I'm going to be doing this. And then your boss comes in at 10 to 5, and says, can you work an extra hour? And you are filled with immense frustration because you've already planned. Your expectation has already been set, and now you find yourself living in a different reality. You drove all the way to Macca's, dreaming of a McFlurry at 10 p.m. at night, only to find out that the ice cream machine isn't working. I'm beginning to wonder, do they have an ice cream machine? Because it always seems to not be. And you could taste it in your mouth as you're driving. Your expectation was here. Your reality was here. (laughs) Other things it looks like, it looks like you thought your partner would take the bins out. The bins are still in. You thought you'd get complimented on what you were wearing, but no one said anything. You thought someone would be super proud of how good the lawn looks when you mowed it, but nothing gets said about that. You thought you'd get a nice quiet night with your spouse, and then your kids were up for an extra three hours. In the, in the, diff, in the gap between expectation and reality, that's where frustration lives. Expectations about love and marriage have a powerful impact on our relationships. And to a large degree... You'll be disappointed or happy in life based on how well what is happening matches up with what you think should be happening. That's for a large portion. That's how happy you are going to be in life. So the question is, how do we close the gap? How do we close the gap between uh, between expectation and reality? Good communication closes the gap between expectation and reality. Think back to the same circumstance about finishing late at your job. Imagine as 
if you walked in in the morning or the day before, even better, your boss says, can you stay home? Can you stay back for an extra hour tomorrow, right? Chances are you're going to be like, that's fine. I wasn't stressed about it. It's when there was last minute, it was not communicated. That's where you get frustrated because you've already built your expectation. So what does good communication look like? I'm going to give us some rapid fire points in a second, but it definitely starts with listening. I think we think communication, we think talking, right? We think I'm good at communicating because I'm very good at talking. Are there any talkers here? Come on, come on. I know you're here. I'm one. I'm putting my hand up. Are there any verbal processes here? Like sometimes you're talking and you're like, ah, oh, that's why. And, but you're like working it out as you're having the conversation. That's, that's me. You've prob- a lot of people, you've probably had a conversation with me where I'm like, I'm just learning from my conversation with you, but I'm learning about me as I'm talking. Oh, that's right. That's, that's why I'm doing that. Um, but good communication actually starts with listening. James 1.19 says this. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. There's nothing more frustrating than when someone just won't listen. The only exception of that might be when someone is not listening, but they're saying, I am listening, right? They're like, I I hear you, I hear you. But this, it's like, well, you clearly didn't just listen to what I said. So what we want to do is we want to listen to understand, not listen to judge. Here's a good litmus test for you. If you're thinking of your response while you're supposed to be listening to what they're saying, you're not actually listening. And I'm so guilty of this when someone's talking to you, especially if it's in a conflict kind of situation and someone's speaking and you're there thinking of your rebuttal. You're thinking of, how am I going to get my way? How am I going to get my point across? If you're doing that, you're not actually listening to what the other person is saying. So what we want to do is use active listening. Has anyone ever heard of active listening? It's the ability to be able to repeat back to someone and let them know that you understand by restating their message. You're acknowledging the content and the feeling of what they're saying. And you could honestly, married couples, you can do this as like a little, um, you can do this as like a little, uh, what, like a, a little test if you want. Exercise, that's word, thank you. You could sit down and be like, all right, now we are doing active listening time. And one person is the speaker and one person is the listener. And this might sound like that's an absolute waste of time. Um, can I just say, I've seen this in action. I do a little bit of, of marriage prep with people who are getting married within the church. We sit down and we, we spend a few weeks talking about marriage and, and just working through some things that maybe they have differences on. And I remember doing it with one couple and we were talking about active listening. And I was like, all right, we're going to practice this right now. It's going to feel really forced, but we're going to do it just as an example, like setting you up to win. You cannot fail here, right? And what you're going to do is you're both going to write a wish list of what you would like more or less of in the relationship. You're going to share it to the other person and how you would feel if that happened. And they're going to reply, repeat to you what's going to happen, what, what, how you feel, right? And, and what you want. And they're like, all right, easy, easy, easy. And the per- one of the person said, they, one of the, the, the couple said, um, what I would like more in our relationship is if we could spend more time together with friends because I really like seeing you. I like it when we hang around people together. And I was like, all right, can you respond? And the other person said, you want to spend more time with your friends because it would make you feel happy. And it was like, oh, hang on. (laughs) It's one key difference to that message there. What they actually said was they're really attracted to you in group settings, so they would love to. And all of a sudden, it went from like, yeah, you want to spend more time with your friends, to like, aw, like that's so sweet. And I think it's just such a clear example of sometimes we can get mixed messages by not actually really 
listening. So use active listening. Summarize your partner's comments before sharing your own reactions and feelings. This is very practical, okay? Is that okay? All right, good. Um, We also want to be assertive. So this probably goes against, it almost sounds like it's in conflict to what I just said about putting the other person first, but we actually need to be assertive. Assertiveness is the ability to express your feelings and ask for what you want in a relationship. Studies actually show that in successful couples, both individuals tend to be quite assertive. It's not that there's one dominant partner, it's that both are very assertive. In other words, they don't assume their partner can read their mind, okay? They don't, they don't have this expectation that this is going to happen. What they do is they say, this is my expectation of what's going to happen. They're assertive. So we listen and we're assertive. Now, assertive doesn't mean um, being a jerk, okay? <laughs> have you ever met someone who's like, I'm just blunt. I just say it how it is. And it's like, no, you're a jerk. That's why you're just being, you're being rude. That's what you're doing. We're not being rude, but we're clear about what, we want. Does that make sense? Is that good? So we're clear about it. We communicate clearly. We set the expectation. Here's a few rapid fire thoughts on communication. Give full attention when you're talking and when they're talking. Put down your phone, turn off the TV, make eye contact. This sounds very simple. Can I just say, sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes all you want to do is flick through Instagram. Sometimes you don't want to be talking about this right now, but can I encourage you? We've got to be intentional about prioritizing good communication in our relationships. Uh, Second one, if it's a problem for them, it's a problem for you, okay? You might have been frustrated by someone saying to you, that's not a big deal. If it's a big deal for them, it's a big deal for you, okay? I think it's really important that we have a sensitivity in marriage, that if it's a problem for my spouse, I'm actually going to be a part of the conversation. We're actually going to talk about that. First, I'm going to figure out, do you want me to fix this problem? Because some of us have a real bad problem of like fixing everyone's problems, or do you just want me, want me to hear, it, hear you out? But if it's a problem for you, it's a problem for me. Um, focus on the good qualities in each other praise each other. Again, this is really easy at first, but let's commit to being intentional about that. You won't accidentally praise each other. Over time, you've actually got to be really intentional about complimenting and speaking life into one another. Avoid criticism. No one loves it when they're being criticized all the time. But if you must criticize, balance it with something positive, right? Hey, I'm so glad that you took the bin out this week. If you could try to do it every day, that would be really helpful. Like, that's much better than you never put the bin out and it's frustrating. Which leads me to my next thought. Avoid absolutes in your conversations. This will help you across the board. Absolutes are words like always and never. Avoid using those words. If, if Talitha was to say to me, you never take out the bins, and I can think of one time in memorable history where I took out the bins, I will be immensely frustrated, and now there is an injustice because I don't actually never take out the bins. I've taken them out once in the last three years, thank you. I keep coming back to the bins idea, but I think that, that makes it clear, right? Avoid stuff like that. You never say nice things to me. You never look out for me. You're always doing this. You're never doing that. All that does is break down communication. So avoid absolutes. Again, if you're talking to your boss, if you're talking to your coworker, if you're talking to an employee, avoid absolutes. Um, Avoid blaming each other and work towards a solution. I love this thought to attack the problem 
and not the person. Hey, if, we're, if we've got a problem, let's, uh, my parents do this, and I think it's a great example. They'll often put something on the table, and they'll be like, this is our problem. We have a problem with this. I don't have a problem with you. So now we're going to work together as a team to solve this problem. Because often what can happen is the problem becomes here, even though the problem's over here. So work together as a team to solve the problem. Attack the problem, not the person. Speak uh, to your partner first. Honor, t- honor them by not talking negatively behind their backs. I think it's really telling when someone refuses to enter into gossip about their spouse. I think that's a sign of a healthy relationship. I think it's actually something that makes us stand out as Christians when everyone else is bagging their wife and you just decide, I'm not going to enter into that. I've got nothing bad to say about my wife. I'm not even going to suggest that, yeah, she's really annoying. No, because I honor my wife. I love my wife. So I talk really well about her. And if there's an issue, I talk to her about it. I don't talk to my best friend about it. I don't talk to my mom about it. I don't talk to whoever about it. I talk to my wife about it. Um, Final thought is seek counseling if you need it. It's actually okay to get help in your marriage, okay? I think there's this shame and stigma around needing help. It's okay to need help. Sometimes if you can't sort it out, you actually need to do that. All right, they're my rapid-fire thoughts on communication. I've got two more, and I'm gonna, these ones are going to be quick. Things we need to be intentional about. So we've got to be intentional about preferring the other. We've got to be intentional about communicating openly. And we've got to be intentional. We need to be intentional about being a good forgiver. If you want a healthy relationship that's built on love, it's not just about getting flowers. It's not about romantic gestures. Proverbs 17.9 says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates even close friends. Just think about that for a moment. Like That's some powerful. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven. It's not even talking about, sometimes we think forgiveness is like, oh, you know, it was a gray area. I'll forgive you. No, it's like when they're dead wrong and you forgive that, what happens? Love prospers prospers. But dwelling on it, man, that's a recipe for disaster. And forgiveness, we've got to clarify, forgiveness is not saying what was done is okay. It's not giving permission for that to happen again. But what it is doing, it's letting go of the right for revenge. It's letting go of the right to get even. It's letting go um, of the right to have negative thoughts so that you can be free from resentment and so that you can be free from negative thoughts and so that love can prosper. Is that good? That's difficult. I said, is that good? Because I thought about it and I was like, man, that's challenging. But actually, it's really important. You want to you see love prosper in your relationships. You've actually got to prioritize forgiveness. And one thing we've taken really seriously, Talitha and I, is not taking today's problems into tomorrow. There's a scripture which talks about not letting the, the sun go down on your anger so that the devil might get a foothold. Um, we kind of have taken that pretty literally. I mean, we don't, it's not like if it's, the, it's sunset, we're like, quick, just sort it out. It's not, we're not that literally. But we kind of want to make sure every time before we go to bed that we're good. Um, and this was quite frustrating to me at first because Talitha would like refuse to let us go to sleep until we were good. Like we'd be lying in bed and I'd be like, all right, well, I'm going to sleep. And she'd just kind of sit there and like, just just as you're about to fall asleep, she'd just kind of roll over and just twitch in the bed and stuff until I was like, all right, we need to. But, but what was really helpful was at first, we'd just like keep trying to solve the problem and it'd be like 1 a.m. and we're trying to fix this problem and we're not actually getting anywhere. So what we want to do is 
We want to not let the sun go down on that problem. We want to forgive one another. We're good. The problem's going to be here tomorrow. We can talk about it tomorrow, but we're good. And I think it's really important to prioritize that. Otherwise, small things start to pile up into big things. You start seeing people have blow-ups about what seems like a tiny thing because they're not determined to choose, hey, every day is a decision to forgive. Um, and I think this is, really impa- this is really empowered by intentionally keeping Jesus at the center, which is my final thought. It'd be the most important of all. Um, so far in Talitha and I's nine years of marriage, this has been the number one key for us to have a healthy marriage, um, has been to keep Jesus at the center. And it sounds very cliche, but if I'm honest, if I look back, what's kept us strong, what's kept us healthy, is making sure that we were really intentional about keeping Jesus at the center. And we really wanted to be sure that that wasn't just something we said in our vows, you know, on our wedding day. This is actually something that you've got to intentionally decide to do. And I remember it being explained to me. It's like, it's like it was explained poorly, but it's always stuck with me. So can I explain it poorly to you and maybe it will stick with you? It's like a love triangle, all right? Not like a K-pop love triangle where there's probably a family member involved or something weird. <laughs> Everyone who's watched K-pop is like, that's not what happens. Yes, it is. And, and what, what it is is, here's me and my spouse, right? If you can picture the apexes of a triangle, and here's God. And as me and my spouse press more into Jesus, as we're more determined to keep Him at the center, as we keep falling in love, as we keep prioritizing Him, as we're drawing closer to Him in that sense, we're actually drawing closer together. And I just say, I have seen that happen over and over again, that even when there is conflict, even when we have disagreed on something, as we decide, actually, we're going to press into God, we're going we're to get God involved in this, we actually end up drawing closer together. Like, it's, it's uncanny how every single time, and I might have shared this already this this series, but every single time I'm convinced that I am right and that finally I am in the right this time. You are in the wrong. I'm convinced about it. And maybe we're just, whatever, we're disagreeing. We decide, hang on, all right, we need to, we need to take a break from this. What we try to do is we go away and sit down and pray about it and kind of open our Bibles and journal that, like read it kind of saying, God, would you speak to me through, through, through Scripture? And it's amazing how even sometimes, like this is more mature me, I've prayed things like, okay, God, but I know this time I'm right. So could you show me how to graciously help Talitha understand that I'm right? And I'll be dead set about it. Like, I'll be convinced. And it's amazing how every single time as I just soften my heart to Jesus, and as I say, Jesus, would you speak to me? I start to see, actually, I had a part to play in this. Actually, the way that, that I spoke then was probably not respectful. Actually, she does really have a point when it comes to that. And as I just soften my heart and I let Jesus speak to me, and, I come, and we come back together, and it's amazing how it's, every time I come back and I'm like, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. Actually, you were right about that. You know what's really amazing? It's Talitha comes back and she says the same things. She's like, hey, I'm really sorry about how I spoke to you or I'm sorry if you felt that way. That wasn't how I intended. 
And I think it's just one of those beautiful things where it's like, if we just determine to keep Jesus in the center, we're actually all good. What's dangerous is if I get on my, if I let pride get involved and I become convinced that I'm right and I've got to show, that's where damage can be done. But if I can just determine to keep a humble heart, allow Jesus to speak to me, I think that's something that's actually going to keep a marriage healthy, that's going to keep a relationship going, is keeping Jesus at the center. When we're able to run to God instead of just running into each other, there's something really beautiful that happens. So how do we keep Jesus at the center? I think just like that, it's have a time out and pray about it. Honestly, if you pray about it and you're humble enough, God will meet you there. God will speak to you there. He'll shift your heart. It's, it's uncomfortable, but it's important. Pray together. Pray for each other. I think, if anything, prayer in marriage is just, it's a real practical way of saying God is important in our marriage. We're going to pray every day, even if it's just before we go to bed, even if it's not the most profound prayer that's ever been prayed. God is important to our relationship. Jesus will stay at the center. Involve God in your decision-making. Instead of just, let's do what we want, actually, God, would you be involved in the decisions we make as a couple? I mean, this should be obvious, but if you're going to get married and you haven't prayed about it, probably pray about it, right? Keep God involved in your decision-making. Maybe it's even just things like, sharing key thoughts from your journaling. What's God speaking to you about? Keep Jesus visible in your relationship, if I can put it that way, so that he will stay at the center. Hey, healthy marriages don't happen by accident. It happens when we intentionally choose to do the same important steps over and over again. It happens when we're intentional about preferring the other. We're intentional about communicating openly. We're intentional about being a good forgiver and we're intentional about keeping Jesus at the center. Can I just ask you a few questions just as we're hopefully kind of reflecting and thinking about this? Which one of those four things do you need to be more intentional about? Just think about whatever your relationship status is or maybe just some key relationships in your life if you're, um, if you're single. Which one of those do you need to be more intentional with? Maybe it is just in your own life trying to keep Jesus more central. Maybe this has been an uncomfortable message because you and your spouse had some conflict in the car on the way here and you realized that the way you communicate wasn't helpful. You know the good news is? There's actually time after this, not within the service. Please not here at church. We can if you want. We're going to open the offices and you can go chat about it over there. No. Um, like maybe there's some reconciliation that needs to be had. And specifically, is there something you need to forgive? Again, even if you're single, is there someone that's hurt you, someone that maybe is wrong that you realize, actually, I need to forgive that? Or for people who are dating, people who have a spouse, people who are married, is there something you need to forgive? Don't take it into tomorrow. Don't let that thing go into the next week. Maybe today you can deal with it. Again, you're not saying it's okay. Maybe it was really bad. Maybe you were in a position of danger. It's not necessarily even, you know, like, okay, everything's all good now. But is there something that you need to, I'm going to release my right to feel angry about that. I'm going to release my right to revenge. And the final question, is there something that you need to seek forgiveness for? 
Maybe as we've been talking, you're thinking about something you said this week or did this week, something that happened at work. It's really hard when you realize that you were the one that was in the wrong. But it's also equally as powerful if you can go and seek forgiveness for it. Apologize. Be earnest about that. Maybe in your marriage, in your relationships. It's just something actually tonight, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going to go seek forgiveness for, for that. I'm not, I'm not just going to um, try to brush it under the rug. I'm not just going to hope that time heals it. I'm actually going to go and seek forgiveness for that. Would you stand with me? Jesus, I just thank you for every person here. We're asking some really challenging questions. And I pray that as our hearts are, as we humble our hearts towards you, even right now, you'd speak to us. You'd reveal the things in us that we need to see. You'd maybe even confront us with some uncomfortable truths. But I also just pray that you'd, you'd comfort us with your kindness. And we know that as we bring those things to you, it's not in vain, God, that through your power and your compassion, you work in all things for good. So I pray that you'd also give people comfort as they're confronted with some uncomfortable truths. In Jesus' name, amen. And just we keep our eyes closed for one more moment. We've talked a lot about relationships. We've talked about, um, you know, we've talked about having Jesus at the center of your relationships. You know, God really wants to be involved in your life. He cares about you. The ultimate example for how to live relationships is God. Every single one of these things we've talked about this evening is actually the way that God wants to relate to you. He wants to communicate to you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to be involved in your life. He wants to make sure that um, he, he, he is actually going to have your back and look after your needs if you can just trust Him. And maybe this evening you're saying, you know, I want to take a step towards a relationship with Jesus. I want to make a decision to go on a journey of following Jesus. If that's you, would you just be really brave? Would you just shoot your hand up right where you are? I'd love to pray for you. Or maybe you've just been away. You've been doing your own thing, but you're like, tonight, I want to get back to following Jesus. If that's you. Either those two categories, would you just shoot your hand up right now, right where you're at? Yeah, I see that. That's awesome. So good. Yeah, I see that back there. That's awesome. So good. So good. Well, Jesus, we just thank you for our friends responding to you. I thank you that as you make this, as they make this decision, as they're intentional about their relationship with you, I pray you'd really meet them where they're at. That even this evening they would leave here feeling the closeness of you. And I just thank you that you're going to lead them and guide them into whatever they're facing next. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we really give it up for those people? That's awesome. Like, talking about relationships is important. But ultimately, your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing. That's why our church exists. Is so it, that's why our church exists is so that people can find relationship with Jesus. So, would we encourage those people? And if that was you, Slade's going to come and tell you what you can do next. Let's encourage those people one more time. Yeah.